passage of scripture that we read in connection with Lord's Day 49 of the Heidelberg Catechism is Psalm 73. Psalm 73. Truly, God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone, my steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain, violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness, they have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression, they speak loftily, they set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, How doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say, I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places, thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant, I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? There is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. That's why we read the word of God. It's on the basis of that passage of scripture, especially as we read verse 20. 
24, which makes reference to God's counsel, God's will. Then on the basis of all of God's word that we are instructed in Lord's Day 49 concerning the third petition of the Lord's Prayer. Lord's Day 49, question 124 asks, which is the third petition? The answer, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. That is, grant that we and all men may renounce our own will and without murmuring obey thy will, which is only good, that so everyone may attend to and perform the duties of his station and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels do in heaven. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, we know, we understand that God has one will. But there are two aspects to that one will of God. There is first of all this, the will of God's commandment, that aspect of God's will. And that's the element, the aspect, the part of God's will that concerns God's commandments to us. God telling us what we must do. God putting before us what we must and what we must not say and think and do, the will of God's command. But there is another aspect of God's will, and that is the will of God's decree. And the will of God's decree refers to what God has eternally decided that he will do. God eternally deciding what he will do in time and in history and to all eternity. The will of God's decree. This petition of the Lord's Prayer, as the Heidelberg Catechism indicates to us, applies to both aspects of the will of God. It applies to the will of his command, That's pointed out in the second part of the Lord's Day, especially when it states that everyone may attend to and perform the duties of his station and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels do in heaven. When we pray, thy will be done, we're asking God to give us grace to obey that will of God's command. But this Lord's Day also applies to the will of God's decree. And the Catechism indicates that when it says this concerning that part or that aspect of God's will, that we renounce our own will and without murmuring or complaining, submit to the will of of God. When we pray this petition, we're asking God to give us grace to submit to God's will, to God's decree. It's my intention, beloved, for us to focus especially on that second aspect, the will of God's decree. Summarized in the words of James chapter 4, 
which points out to us that because we do not know what shall be on the morrow, we ought always to say, if the Lord will, we will do this or that. Summarized also in the words of our Lord Jesus Christ himself, who at the time in his life when he, expe- ex- when he faced and experienced extremely difficult circumstances, when he was just moments away really from his death on the cross and facing the wrath of God that would be poured upon him for the sins of all the people of God, circumstances that really are beyond our comprehension, beyond our ability to understand how difficult that would be for him. And he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. That's indeed for us a difficult thing to say. And a difficult thing for us, therefore, to pray. Praying this petition is a profound test of faith. For to pray this petition means that the child of God says, not what I have planned in my life, but what God has planned in my life. Not what I want to happen in my life, but what God has determined will happen in my life. Not my will, but the good counsel and will and purpose of God. Thy will be done, not mine. I say that's difficult, and yet, deep down, beloved, because you are a child of God, you do desire the will of God to be done, and you desire that will of God to be done because, as we read in Psalm 73, verse 24, we are guided by that will. We are guided by God's counsel. And we are guided by God's counsel with a purpose, a goal that God has in guiding us by his counsel, and that is to receive us into glory one day. And it is the will, the counsel of God that guarantees that we will arrive one day in glory. And that counsel and will alone will guarantee that. That's what we desire. And that's what we pray for when we pray, Thy will be done. Consider then with me praying that God's will be done. We'll notice the good will of God, our prayer concerning it, and what we may always expect. God has a will, and the will 
an aspect of that will of God to which we direct our attention now is God's eternal plan. God, having decided everything that will happen. Whenever we think of that will of God, we do well to be mindful of the characteristics or the attributes of that counsel of God. As we considered that even just in this past week in our essentials class in catechism. The counsel of God has certain characteristics, certain attributes that characterize that will of God. And what's interesting to note and important to remember is that the characteristics of God's counsel are a reflection of God's characteristics, God's attributes. Let me mention just a few of that. The will of God is eternal. And why is the will of God eternal? Because God is eternal. Therefore, the will of God is a plan that God put together before time began. God is not now planning things, but God planned and God settled everything, everything in his will, everything in his decrees, everything in his counsel from before the foundation of the world. An eternal will. Secondly, we note that God's will is unchangeable. And it's unchangeable because God is unchangeable. God does not change. God does not change his mind. And therefore, God does not change his will. God is not now, as we exist in this world, looking at what's happening in this world and making changes to his plan. He is not changing his mind. He does not even change his mind in response to us or in response to our prayers to him. His plans are fixed. His will, you could say, is written in stone. Immutable. And thirdly, we can say about the will of God that is is that it is all comprehensible. Why? Because God is an all-knowing God. And so the counsel of God includes everything. Everything that you see in your lifetime, everything that you experience in your lifetime, everything that you can think of as it happens in this world is part of the will of God. Great things and small things. Good things and evil things. The decree of election, the decree of reprobation, the decree of providence. Obedience as that occurs in this world as well as disobedience and sin as it occurs in this world. Faith and unbelief. Riches and poverty. 
love and hatred, controversy and peace, joy and sorrow, life and death. Everything is in the will of God. But then notice from the Catechism, this characteristic of the will of God, it is good. It is good. That's reflected, or that's a reflection of Psalm 73, verse 1. Truly God is good. Who is wrong? The will of God is good. The will of God is, as the Catechism says, only good. It's good, which means, of course, that it is perfect. There are no errors in the will of God. There are no mistakes in the will of God. God's will could not be better than it is. There is no need for that will of God to be improved. It's good. My life and all its perfect plan was ordered ere my days began. But notice the Catechism says not merely that it is good, but that it is only good. Only good. It is always good. Even if you and I don't think so, God's will is good. Even if you and I don't see how it is good, God's will is is good. And everything in the will of God is good because it is good for God himself, first of all. It is good for God himself because this is the will that will glorify God. This is the will that will see to it that God receives the praise and the honor now and to all eternity for all that he has done the honor and the praise and the glory that is due to him. And we might say, if that were the only reason why the will of God is good, that God is glorified, then that's enough. That's really enough. But the will of God is also good, is also perfect, for us. Good for you. Good for your salvation. It's not bad for your salvation and it's not bad for your soul when God's will, God's plan includes affliction, but it's good. There is no better plan. Nothing in the will of God can be improved apart. And so when we speak about the will of God, then we understand it is the will of God that has determined all things that take place. It is not the will of any human being, whether great or small, that determines what takes place. It's not the will of any one of us that determines what happens in the end in our lives. 
It's not the will of any ruler in this world that determines what happens in world history. It's not the will of Satan either that determines any of these things. He does not independently make up what will happen and then bring about what will happen. But everything goes back to and everything is explained by the eternal, sovereign, good will of God. Everything. And when you and I make that a confession, then we are making a confession concerning God himself. What are we confessing concerning God? God is sovereign. Confessing that truth concerning the will of God, we believe that he is the one and the only one who has the right to plan things. And he is the only one who has the right to plan anything because he is God alone. He may do whatever he wants to do as God. He doesn't have to consult anyone, and he does not have to answer to anyone. It's very different from us, of course. You may make plans. You may plan to build a house. You may plan to buy a farm. You may plan to go to college. You may plan to get married. You may have many other different plans in your life but you need to take others into consideration when you make those plans. You have to think of how they might be affected by your plans, and you have to consult them, and you have to get input from others to be assured that your plan is a good one, a wise one. You have to sometimes ask the permission of others when you make plans, and then you also have to answer to them for the plans that you make, and you also have to answer to God for the plans that you make. Not God. God did not need to, and God therefore did not consult anyone, anyone at all. He is sovereign. He did not ask some Men or women, what would you like me to do? He did not give us the opportunity to answer the, answer the question, what is it that would make you happy if I did it? But he freely decided without anyone's input, he planned all things according to his own good pleasure. Psalm 115, verse 3, But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. God has planned and God has done what is pleasing to God and to God alone. That truth as you well know, is not very popular today. Specifically with regard to evils and troubles and afflictions that come in this life, the common, the general 
explanation that is given is, well, yes, God is in charge of, God is sovereign over, and God sends the good things that come into this world and into our lives. But when it comes to the evil things, well, the devil is in charge of that. But the fundamental issue, beloved, with regard to this is this. Who is sovereign? The fundamental issue is who has the right to decide things? Are we going to say that God has the right to decide good things, but when it comes to evil things, then certain men and the devil himself has the right to decide them without God? God is God alone. And God alone has the right to will, to decide, to plan anything and everything. He alone can say, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my good pleasure. And by faith, that's what we confess concerning him. God may do what he pleases. And God has done what he pleased in his counsel. And now God in his providence is doing whatever God is pleased to do. That's the goodwill of God. Concerning that will, we pray in this third petition, thy will be done. And that prayer, that request, that petition is an expression of our desire that what God has eternally decided be what comes to pass in this world and in our lives, and that it only and always be what comes to pass. The prayer is this, may whatever God has planned for the world and whatever God has planned for my life be the thing that happens in the world and that happens in my life. What God has planned. I said earlier, this is a very difficult petition. And part of the difficulty of this petition is, as the Heidelberg Catechism states, that this involves renouncing our own will. That's not easy to do, to put aside what you personally want, to put aside what you personally prefer to happen in this world or in your life. We have our own wills, we have our own plans, we have our own desires, we make plans for our lives in this world. How we would like our lives to go, what we would like to happen in the future, we make plans concerning work plans concerning marriage and family, plans concerning where we might live, plans concerning vacations that we might like to take in life. But quite often, 
what you and I plan, what you and I will, is different from what God has willed for us. Perhaps you hoped to be married. But God's will is that you're still single. Perhaps you hoped to have children. But God's will is that you don't have children. Perhaps you wanted to have your health restored. But God's will is that you remain sick yet. Perhaps you planned to pursue a career as an engineer. But God's will is that you study for the ministry. When those things happen, and we sometimes struggle if, and we say, if only things went as I had planned, if things had gone as, as I had planned them, then my life would be much easier and much better. The Catechism says, no, when you pray, thy will be done, then you renounce your will. You put aside your personal wishes, your personal wants, and your personal desires. And what's good for us to realize and good for us to remember in that connection, beloved, is that so often and so easily our plans, our wills are motivated by sinful, selfish, earthly desires. Sometimes when we make our plans, we're driven by self-seeking, a love for myself, a desire for self-satisfaction in life, hoping for personal happiness in my life, making a plan that in my mind will guarantee that my life will be characterized by ease, a trouble-free life, because I've planned all things. I've got it all sorted out. This is the direction my life will go so that I can have an easy, trouble-free, pleasure-filled life in this world. Selfish. And then sometimes our planning is driven by earthly-mindedness. focused upon the earthly and not considering what is good for our souls. And even if we do consider what we believe is good for our souls, in reality, we don't always know what's good for our souls. And we certainly don't know what's good for our souls as God knows what our souls need, what we need for our faith, what we need for our salvation. And then sometimes our planning or our response to God's plan is driven by pride. 
We think we're wiser than God. We think we know what is better for us than what God has planned. We even think we know what's better for us to prepare us for heaven than what God has planned to prepare us for glory. We do well to to remember that. And by the Spirit's work in the child of God, the child of God realizes that, and then the child of God prays, Lord, make me let go of my will, which is often imperfect, unwise, earthly-minded, self-seeking. Let me put that aside, give me grace to put that aside, and to say, as Christ said, not my will, but thy will be done. Then secondly, our prayer is for God to give us grace to submit to the will of God. That's what it means, really, for us to do God's will. That is, to do the will of God's decree. We can all readily understand, I think, what it means to do the will of God's commandment. That aspect of God's will, that involves obedience, that involves, as the Catechism says, that everyone attend to and perform the duties of his station and calling in life as willingly and faithfully as the angels do in heaven. We can understand doing the will of God's command, but we're also called as God's people to do something in connection to, in relation to the will of God's decree. And that is this, that by the grace of God, we submit to the will of God's decree. We accept the will of God's decree. We accept whatever God does, whatever God sends. We accept whatever God gives or does not give to us. Thy will be done involves that as well. The Catechism uses these significant words to drive that point home when it says that we must submit without murmuring. Submission is not just doing it because that's expected, because you should, but submission without murmuring involves gladly submitting to the will of God, as difficult as that will of God may be for us. Being content with God's will, being content with God's way for us in life, not complaining when God sends sickness, not protesting when God makes life difficult for us, not objecting when God does something unexpectedly, and that is very terrible, we would say, for us to experience, 
not still wishing for something that we personally desire instead of what God has willed. And what makes that difficult for us sometimes is that many things that God does send us in this life don't seem to be good for us. And and even, we would say, don't seem to be good for our souls. Don't seem to be good for our salvation in and through Christ. We try to figure out, how is this good for me? How is this good for my soul? And we, we can't see. We can't understand how it is. No doubt it would be easier if we did and if we could. But we know God doesn't always show it to us. Sometimes he does, but even then not usually right away. It may be weeks or months or years before we can look back and say, now I see why that was necessary. Now I see why that was good for my soul. But sometimes God doesn't reveal that at all. At all. Meaning this, beloved, that we will not see and we will not understand and we will not know how this or that was good for our souls until we get to heaven then God will make it clear to us and we will look back and we will say, yes, yes, it was good. Because truly God is good to Israel. And truly God is guiding me by his counsel to prepare me for and to receive me into glory. In the meantime, in this life, we're often left wondering, how is it good for my soul to have cancer? How is it good for my soul to remain single? How is it good for my soul to be childless? How is it good for my soul to have children that stray? How is it good for my soul when I lose my spouse or a member of the family? How is it good for my soul when I struggle in school with grades, with friendships, relationships, and all the rest. How is it good for my soul when so many things seem to be going wrong in my life? How is it good for my soul that God sends controversy and schism in the churches? How is it good for my soul when God causes my family to be divided 
because of that. And that's exactly why, beloved, we need to pray this petition. A prayer for God to give us grace. A prayer for God to give us grace to confess no matter what. This. God knows what he is doing. God is wise. God has a perfect plan. God knows what I need for my salvation in Christ. And even grace to be patient. We often would like to know and to see now why and how something is good for us. We need grace to be patient, to wait, if necessary, until heaven before we can understand why he did what he did. And grace to say this, my father did this to me. My father's hand brought this into my life. The hand of a father who loves me eternally in Jesus Christ, his son, and who has demonstrated his love by sending his son. That's enough. In the end, that's all I need to know. It's from the hand of God, my loving Father. Grace to say that too. And as far as what we may always expect, then this. We may always expect that God's will, God's counsel, God's plan will be done. We can be sure that God will never change his will. God will never change his plan. If God did, he would no longer be God. If God changed his plan, he would no longer be Jehovah, the I am that I am, the unchanging God. And so his will, his counsel will always stand. He will always do his good pleasure. There are many devices in a man's heart, Proverbs 19.21 says. There are many plans that we have in our hearts, but the counsel of God, that shall stand. And that's what as I mentioned earlier at the start, beloved, that's what the child of God wants, isn't it? That's what the child of God desires and that's what the child of God wants because of the truth expressed in Psalm 73 verse 24. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive me to glory. God is guiding us by his counsel. 
God is guiding you in your life by his will. Every step of the way, every experience, every mountain, every valley, every joy, every sorrow, every cross that you have to bear is according to God's will, God's plan. And he is guiding you by his counsel toward something, toward your life's end, toward the end of your pilgrim's journey upon this earth. But it's not simply an end. It's not simply, well, there's a day when suddenly your life is all over and that's it, but the biblical understanding of the end that God is guiding us to is that that end is God's goal for us. And the goal for us, as Psalm 73, 24 states, is glory, heavenly life with him. The goal that God has for every one of his children is to give them what Christ has earned for them. To give us the eternal inheritance that belongs to us by his grace as those who belong to Jesus Christ. And as soon as your life is over, as soon as God brings your life to an end, he will take you to your glorious eternal home with him. And the believer understanding that and believing that by faith says that he wants God's will to be done because that will ensure, that will guarantee that you will get to heaven. God's will, God's plan is and involves the perfect preparation for glory. The perfect preparation for your unique place in glory. And God, as it were, says to us, unless you travel the pathway and the way in life that I have planned for you, you won't get to glory. And the child of God may say, but Lord, with all these sufferings, are they really so necessary? So many of them? And such difficult things that I must experience and face in life? And the Lord says to that, yes. Yes. All the afflictions and sufferings of life as well. But notice from Psalm 73, God adds this word to that, and that is, but I am holding you by your right hand. I am guiding you not only by my counsel, but in my providence, I am holding you by your right hand. I am with you every step of the way. 
And even when you walk in the valley of the shadow of death, because of the reality of death itself, or because of sickness that reminds you of the reality of death, or any other valley that you may face and walk in in life, I am holding you by my hand. The child of God says, then that's the way I desire to go. No other way, because that's the way that God has planned and that will lead to glory. And so may we put our trust in God alone. As Psalm 73 concludes, the last verse of that psalm, it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God. God who is always faithful to his people in Christ. And God who says, this is what my will will accomplish in your life. You will arrive one day in glory. He is guiding you by his counsel. He will bring you one day to eternal glory with him. Amen. Father and our God, we thank thee that thou hast planned and purposed all things for us, including thy word to us in this day to give us encouragement to lift us up so that our eyes do not focus on the earthly, but on the heavenly. Our eyes do not focus on the temporal, but the eternal. Comfort us, O Lord, and assure us of thy presence, thy faithfulness, thy loving kindness, as we continue on in our earthly pilgrimage in this valley of tears, in which every day involves sadness and sorrow, suffering and grief, but none of it without purpose, as thou dost prepare us for glory. Apply thy word to our hearts and to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs>